Good afternoon, welcome back to the Hour of the Wolf. Today we have a really cool episode with a poet that has decided to join us through Zoom. His name is Kane Hogan. He lives in Westport on the South Island and he is, I'll let you guess, a gardener. He has a very beautiful personal journey that he is sharing with us today about how he became a gardener and why. And the why is really something that I would like you to take in. So we're still going on the food sovereignty run and really, really enjoying it. Hopefully you're doing the same and welcome to the podcast. King, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Cheers, welcome Wolf. to the Hour <laughs> of the Wolf. I'm very, very glad to welcome you to this space. If you'd like to tell us a little bit about you, who you are and, and, and how we, you find yourself today sharing a quarter with me. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, So, yeah, I arrived at the gallery there, met you there, had a great chat amidst all those paintings and the, that nice social buzz passing through Gisborne, staying with my friend Peter Harris, the formerly the Wizard of Kaiwaka. He, he's a ferrous cement um, sculptor, and um, he started Dream Space, which is a blue building in Gisborne there. That it's His dream is of like a folk factory that just inspires you know, lots of uh, creativity and nurtures um, creative and talented weirdos <laughs> and misfits. And mm. so he's great. And he's really good at helping unstick creatives. And he's got this nice, he's got these four tables that um, are experimental project to like diagrammatic reasoning. If, you, if people look that up and follow that. Um, Interesting rabbit hole yeah and he just um he just helps people get unstuck by starting at a table to keep you focused and each table is a different color and um well, yeah, i just found it a lot of fun you know and it was helping him unfold as well you know the first one starts with maybe imagination with openness where you're listening to everything and it's a type of disorientation and the next one is The next table is like green and it's like, you know, oh, oh something's starting to crystallize or you, you get a hint of something or it's like this hunch about beauty or, you know, something's starting to come together. And then the yellow table is like, oh, really getting it down as a, an approximation and you write, you know, you start to write it down and find the concepts toward the red table, which is the fourth one, and that's got to be an action plan. You know, and so you've got to start off with this draft idea, you know, knowing that it's unfolding and it's nothing solid, but it, it's all just a great big experiment and brainstorming. So I really enjoyed that process with Peter. Um, you, so, yeah. This process for yourself as well then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, it was, yeah, it's good, you know. So that was, that was sort of fun. Amazing thing about Gisborne. Yeah. A mate of mine that came to stay for a few weeks here. Actually, I think he worked with Peter for a bit. Okay. Sculpture. Does he have a garden in his house? Like Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he my my friend might have helped him build a couple of his beds even. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's right. He does he does his um ferrocement sculpting into garden beds mainly at the moment and he does some sculptures um for the council and uh he wants to build a hobbit hobbit home so you know in the style of the Hob hobbiton yeah yeah wow. yeah so uh and um so that's why i actually came to see him because i want to learn to do the first cement hobbit home 
and uh, yeah, have something like that at a Ferris cement party underground because I've got two acres in Westport, and um, I'm living in a wee caravan off grid. That's pretty basic, and um, I'm a vegetable garden. I'm I'm a vegetable garden facilitator at a community house as part of the education uh, adult education courses that they do, and I teach the biointensive which is um, the John Jevons um, style of gardening, which is very similar to Charles Dowding. Right. Oh, except the, bio, the biointensive grows carbon. That's the big point of difference. Um, well, no, the other point of difference is that um, the biointensive uses diagonal spacing and different um, spacings for each plant type because they have a different canopy size. So it's really nice to teach that at a community house. It's nice and systematic, and it's easy to absorb as a system. It's just part of the vision of um, helping to, helping citizens, people, take some of the responsibility of growing food to, to take some of the weight off an unsustainable industrial food system and start to mentor food growing back into culture. And the vision I have... How did you get yeah, there? Yeah, the vision I have... How did I get there? Uh, well, I, I got there, well, if I zoom back to feeling like a failure at school when I was 16 and 17 and not really being able to make any sense of it, all this general knowledge and having some sort of, and having my mind seemed to pull into concepts and I couldn't get past the wormhole of one word, but yet you had to, you know, in school you had to scan general knowledge and just absorb something and then pass an exam. But I, I, I something about my mind shape style I'd just get fixated on one word and it was I'd need to go down that one word as a rabbit hole and but that wasn't what the education system wanted and I just always got stuck in every single class with a sense of failure because my mind sort of worked in a different way and in hindsight you know I should have been a a, a writer and a and a wordsmith right from the go you know um, we would go because I'm so in love with words and concepts and, uh, but at first I, I didn't recognise that and I didn't know how to accept it. So I rejected myself right from the word go. And it was both school and upbringing that said, oh, no, don't do that, you won't get a job and that. And I didn't have any confidence in myself. And so I sort of tried to do something I wasn't into because it was conventional and that's a path to success. But and while rejecting what was actually trying to flow through me as nature and truth. And so I created a separation and a rejection of myself on somehow. I lost my essence and I pathologized to myself and, um, you know, the innocence of the education system and the innocence of my own unconsciousness. Long story short, I melted down at 41 with a great sense of failure. And uh, fortunately, that meltdown and the brokenness um, and the weeping and the panic through the weeping and the confusion and the sense of debilitation um, turned into laughter and just the brokenness turned into a letting go. And I didn't, it's like my, there was a separation from, from my essence. And yeah, it was like, it's like the words all fell away. The, all the stories, all my thinking fell away. And it was like just standing, you know, on the ground like a, like a fool, not knowing anything. And that was, um, as Ralph Waldo Emerson talked about, 
he says that's returning to the ground of your being and um yeah from then on um i mean i wrote a song called walk numb for a while let confusion build its smile walk numb just watch the parade it's where all the new things to say come from and there were so i just started um just feeling like an absolute fool it was a type of death you know and i let go of building because I wasn't really into building. I'd done it for 10 years, but it really never suited my mindset. And I went to horticulture and um, I just needed a dumb job, you know, because I was melted down. Mm. And then I just listened to audio books for about three years. It was Byron Katie, Eckhart Tolle, and, um, you know, um, As a Man Thinketh by um, James Allen, um, Creative Mind by Ernest Holmes, and um, Dale Carnegie's, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Lots of real classics and powerful writing, Ralph Waldo Emerson's essays. And I just started and, and absorbing TED Talks for two years solid mm. in this new, just, just wa- washing my mind with new concepts. And, um, yeah, it's just like a sponge. You know, because my so sense of like self... A second education, and you know, like uh, going back to to primary school in a way of re relearning. Yeah. yeah. And were you just well, lucky to find horticulture, uh, or or was it something that called you to horticulture other than a job, or or what was it? No, well, I, the, well, the brokenness, the brokenness led me just to an orchard, you know, um, shoot ripping and and picking out buds and just doing general horticultural stuff while I was listening to audiobooks because all I wanted to do was listen to audiobooks and keep my mind in check because my mind wasn't my friend and it, it was my mind was used to going down mental ruts that just caused a lot of pain and so it's like I was trying to keep um, I was trying to keep reliving that psychological death and that meltdown experience which led me to a disorientation that was free of the mental stories that caused me pain. So it was like for a year or so, I was uh, conscious that there was a type of learning to stay let go and not get back into my the constant stream of analysis and the incessant commentary upon things, you know, as though my mind knew about truth and it didn't. And so I had to stay disorientated. I had enough consciousness to realize I had to stay disorientated and close to that special time of brokenness where I'd let everything go and where the laughter was and the fullness and being a dummy, you know, for want of something else to label it. And, it, and, um, and so that, that journey just led me on a whole path of dumb jobs because I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't want my mind to be used by something I wasn't into anymore. And it's like I gave myself permission just to play with words, play my guitar and just frivolously absorb all the information that I was interested in. I'd never really formally given myself permission to do something that I was really interested in because I'd associated doing what I was interested in with not the pathway to success through school and upbringing. So I just let myself be a complete indulgent. It's like a form of hedonism with concepts, you know. I just loved watching whatever I wanted and listening to whatever I wanted and writing all the words down and just being in this great big, yeah, it was delicious, you know. Yeah, like a and, uh, buffet of, of of new notions and new possibilities. Yeah, yeah, that's it, man. Yeah, well said. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. 
you know, and it was like currently in in a very like you're describing something that I've been going through in the last year or so, really. And yeah. after leaving the rat race in Auckland, after um, realizing that none of that what I was doing was for myself or even for the be- benefit of mankind, or you know, no real purpose behind any of the actions that I was just repeating automatically because I just yeah. needed to keep surviving, right? But after letting go of that that state of fight or flight. It's just this shapelessness of, okay, anything is possible, all right? It's like being a soup and then <laughs> starting yeah. to, to look at your own ingredients. It's like, oh, here comes a potato. Okay, look at the potato and, and see if it's tasty or not, you know? <laughs> Finding out what's yeah. inside and how that corresponds with the outside and, and if there's anything that you can do with that at all to help yourself and others or even even get an income or... And then the income becomes inconsequential at some point because if you like, I've tried to just go for the income first and then the passion try and adjust it later, but it mm. never works. It, it has to go the other way around. It's just like the passion first and the income later. Um, yeah. So it's yeah. very interesting to, to hear that that story. <clears throat> so, so keep going because I want to, I want to hear more spoilers. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, well said, Wolf. You said letting go of the fight or flight and allowing a shapelessness. Yeah, that's that's really cool because that's, that's another way of saying my experience, you know. And then exactly what you say here about passion has to come before income, and that has been my journey of meltdown as well because I was trying to do the income and while rejecting my passion, and it just doesn't work. And uh, it's not sustainable because you can't protect your enthusiasm if you're not, and I, I, I coined this uh, idea about, I call it the beaver principle. And it's like, when you look at a beaver, it's physiological specificness. It's innate determinism. It's something in its sequence of its DNA and its ecological purpose must play itself out and wants to naturally when it, without any effort at all. And it just needs the environment that it needs. And um, so I learned over time, yeah, that I've had to honour my physiological specificness, the thing that is trying to live me, and I only really got to feel and sense it when I, when I, when my conditioning shut up, when it, when my conditioning broke down, and I returned to the ground of my being in a blubbering mess that ended up laughing and escaping my thinking, you know, and um, so yeah. It's, uh, yeah, you touched on all that right there. Yeah, so the brokenness just led me to a whole lot of dumb jobs, and um, one of them being uh, being a, a ride-on lawnmower guy for City Care in Christchurch. So I was riding, I, I thought, oh, yeah, I just want to ride a ride-on lawnmower, man, and listen to audio books all day. And it was, I really loved that. And so I went to Christchurch, and I was... Um, on an MB walker. They're like little go-karts. And so I just drove around. Yeah, it's cool. Drove around Christchurch being a, you know, a, a ride-on lawnmower guy. Listen to audio books all the time. So much so I got tinnitus, you know, just listening to audio books all day with the earmuffs on, on a noisy lawnmower. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And, yeah. Um, um, but then the Christchurch earthquake hit and it was like perfect. I I experienced an infrastructure 
you know, um, all the supermarkets closed. And it was like, that was another um, type of wake-up call. It's like with the infrastructure returned to the ground of its being. And it was like there was a brokenness in the infrastructure that was also an eye-opening thing for me. And I went, wow, this is a really vulnerable system. Where's the food coming from? And then I started to, you know, watching many TED Talks and following ideas, I realised that centralisation had sort of destroyed all local food systems from because of some sort of ideology or thinking or idea of efficiency. Essentially, centralisation is some form of conceptual monoculture, mm. you know, that has knocked a localism on the head. And I, I'd never really considered... Well, I was unconscious. With I'd been everything had been normalised within my, I'd normalised everything in my mind, you know. And so, you know, with local food systems going, it was just normal, and I accepted it. But as soon as I saw the earthquake um, stop supermarkets, and I started to think about the value of having food as part of, you know, woven into the neighbourhood, and um, because I'd always always been lost vocationally. And um, all, all of a sudden, I had a hunch to follow horticulture and growing. <clears throat> and eventually, I um, found Kawanga Institute in Wairoa. And uh, they had an, uh, a position available for an urban gardener to look after their urban garden. And the Kawanga's urban garden was a permaculture experiment on 200 square metres that had um, 35... Um, fruit and berry trees. It had uh, four beds. Four, Forty uh, each bed was ten meters long, and it had a rotation system. You know, it was fifty percent of the beds were growing carbon um, for growing soil compost crops, and the others were just like roots and legumes. You know, carrots, beetroot, and then um, lettuce and the greens and stuff like that. And then I, there was rabbits over a worm farm, which I hated. I hated looking after rabbits in a cage. That was a real bummer. But that was part of the experiment because they were, they were trying to, based upon trying to create as much vitamin A and calcium and bone broths and nutrients from a small um, cl classic sort of kiwi section as, as they could, you know, uh, imagining that, you know, the apocalypse had happened and the whole system broke down. Could you grow mm. enough to look after a family of four? And uh, so that's why they had rabbits on a worm farm and a worm farm being you know, a way of building soil and recycling nutrients. Mm. And then they had 10, 10 chickens in a, on a compost heap. And uh, that was one of the coolest things that I experienced because having 10 chickens in a confined space creates amazing soil. If you're making sure you've got lots of carbon going in, yeah. it's the browns, you know. You know, so, otherwise it, it gets stinky. All of that was happening in 200 square meters? Yeah, yeah. That sounds yeah. amazing. Far out. Because uh, yeah. with um, our community gardens here, we have around 800 square meters to work with. And, uh, and we, uh, so we have a few more beds and stuff like that. But at the same time, like our space distribution is nowhere near as efficient as to be able to, you know, to allow us to have all of those elements kind of working together. Yeah, uh, I've been meaning to go down to Kwanga for since last year, I guess. And you're just okay. giving me more and more reasons, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it was a bit of an eye opener, Wolf. It really was, man. You know, it's like, yeah, intense experiment 
with a specific aim to um, record what was happening there and see if you could produce enough nutrients, calories, um, you know, um, for, for a family of four. So what and, was the, ad- uh, and, the outcome of the experiment? Uh, the outcome of the experiment is um, a system like that can't survive alone. You have to have inputs. It's not a closed loop, mm-hmm. you know. You have to have more carbon, the browns coming in to um, balance the nitrogen that's coming from the chickens um, to build soil. So there, there is, you do require more space for growing carbon crops like barley, wheat, you know, or, or straw and hay and stuff like that. That All those browns need to be coming in from the outside because there's not enough room to grow that on the 200 square metres. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and I couldn't kill the rabbits. You know, I'm a bit of a blouse. It's like, and I couldn't kill the chickens. There was someone that did that. And, um, you know, but the eggs were great. And um, I'd like to be able to kill a chicken minimum. I can kill a fish. But, <laughs> oh, Harry. Oh, God, trouble. Compassion is a, good, is, a, is, a, is a good trait, man. <laughs> Compassion is a very good Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, that's right. But, you know, typically I'm a meat eater, you know, so it's like... Did you end up I suppose, um, creating relationships yeah. with chickens and naming them and having your... You know... <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. If the shit hit the fan and I was dying, you know, I suppose you, you take an animal's life, you know, if, if it's one or the other, but I mean, I haven't been able to do it. But no. Yeah, I just I could live off it. I I could be a vegetarian, easy, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, but so anyway, because you don't don't develop relationships with with the plants. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. And then you start <laughs> start naming the plants and can't eat them. <laughs> start drinking water, bro. Eh? <laughs> That's it. Well, I wish I could do wish I could do fasting, man. I'd mm. be a lot healthier if, if I was doing fasting. That's for sure. But, uh, yeah, so I went to Kawanga, and um, it was so transformational because I didn't really know anything. And um, Kay Baxter sort of held my hand for the growing season, you know, just led me through the, the weed book and the process, and I r- raised um, seedlings from seed, and um, I did the successional, successional sowing and planting and the bed rotation. And, um, you know, and summer arrived and midsummer. And there was this all this life in the garden that had come from my hands, you know, from, and I didn't have a degree. I had no certificate. And I'd created this beauty and relative abundance and this sense of sanctuary and the sense of empowerment. And I went, wow, I didn't have a degree. I didn't have to strive. This should be woven into neighborhoods as part of the infrastructure of care because I found it, re- found it really healing. And um, from then on, I was wrecked forever. You know, it was like, and I used to, I've got a cargo bike and I used to go into the cycle of 26K from Kawanga to Wairua every Saturday. And I'd go and get my fix of caffeine and my cake. And, um, yeah, and I'd just be, you know, in that open dreamy space of gliding along on my bike through beautiful country and just um, feeling my experience and feeling the world and all the contradictions and the bits and pieces. And and over time, you know, the nine months, 12 months that I spent there, uh, just as I cycled along by the river on the broad cycleway, 
I just started to see, you know, a, an overlay of fruit trees and berry bushes and, and well-tended um, um, garden beds and young people um, working to a schedule and just sort of ambling about and push bikes carrying seedlings. And just this beautiful scene of potential, you know, that meets real needs. It's soft, it's humane, it's woven into the neighbourhood. And I was just more and more just this... You know, this overlay of these images and this vision. And I went, wow, why wouldn't you have that? Why wouldn't you have beauty and abundance woven more consciously and specifically into the neighbourhood as part of the infrastructure of care? And then I, you know, and so I, I left Kauanga with all those feelings and, and thoughts and visions and ideas. And I went and did my first job as an urban gardener at a play centre that was trying to feed 100 kids a day. And I built them a cloche, which is, uh, you know, two pallets screwed together with some two-by-two sides and you wrap plastic all around it and you put a plastic door on it. You make them some seed trays. You sow them the bio-intensive, the sowing seeds tray, and then, you know, seven days later, pricking out the seedlings and then seven days later, maybe potting them up or planting them out into the garden. So that process of seed to tray, tray to garden, garden to plate, and... That simple thing, you know, uh, was really empowering. And then walking away from the play centre, going, oh, and who's going to look after it? That's really got the passion and consistency. And then I started to feel the holes in, you know, in this desire, you know, to have this woven into the neighbourhood. You've got to have someone to pick it up and carry it on. And so amidst my efforts, I started noticing that, you know, I mean, I'm just one man. I'm just another enthusiast who's going to die. So these ideas, do they die? You know, and, and over time I realised, oh, hold on. Oh, we've got plumbers, builders, doctors, nurses. I mean, the individuals die, but the profession never dies. And I started going, oh, there needs to be a new profession. There needs to be a new profession, a new regenerative role with born from a specific vision of a beautiful neighbourhood woven with edibles and urban horticulture placed in empty sections and young people, you know, paid well and with relaxed, you know, work conditions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so these things is just, uh, just keep percolating and it's, you know, feeling like a crazy man with visions of beauty. And, uh, yes, you know, where did it lead? I did another project um, with a, a wonderful lady, Fiona, and um, we worked at uh, her place, half an acre in Oxford, just out of Christchurch. Mm. And I sold my bus and uh, put my money into that to um, do, um, do a hybrid idea, prototype of a, of a neighbourhood facility. And um, I did... Fiona and I did the Curtis Stone Farmer, the Curtis Stone Farmer workshop in Christchurch. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, and so we bought all the tools, a high-end um, walk-behind tractor, the um, um, automatic seeder, and uh, a tilter, and, um, yeah, and uh, just turned her backyard into a, a beautiful garden that um, we could cycle around. Because I'd had this vision of, hold on, you need to be able to cycle through the shed and around the garden because there's something beautiful about the glide of a bike and the proximity to growing food 
and flowing out with seedlings on your trailer. So I've never shaken this need to join certain things together because of the mm. beauty of them and how they add to each other. And um, it works with the book, the ebook that I'm writing slowly, and it's and it's called Following the Scent of Beauty. Following, nice. <laughs> like a bee, yeah. <laughs> like like a bee, and following the scent of beauty is a nod back to the disorientation, the surrendered disorientation of psychological brokenness, where it's disorientated in the world all of a sudden. All the ideas about success that were calibrated into the mind have gone, and you're, and you're just standing there in stupid bewilderment, not knowing what to do. And then from that place, there's a scent of what lifts. Again, it's a nod to the physiological specificness. What is your nature involuntarily aching towards? That's the gift you bring to ecology. And it's only you that, that knows that because it's where, what you're interested in. It's what you're passionate about. And it's what you, the gift that you need to bring. And that is the scent of beauty. Only you know it. And that's, that's the diversity that swells and comes in with its authenticity to bring its gift as part of the social ecology. And that's the revelation that I had from brokenness and starting to honour what I was. And I bring Nikola Tesla into that because, as you know, most people probably know, that he was terrified of his specificness and his uniqueness first when he experienced his imagination he thought he was crazy or 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 possessed and then he started to honor it and realized that it's a gift of imagination and that he could just create things in his mind um, and they just came to him and they would work as a physical equivalent once he understood you know the laws of um, electro engineering etc and um yeah so um my brokenness led me to the garden wolf, you know? Yeah. It led, it led me to the garden, man, like a fool who was just following a sense of beauty of what I was interested in. I loved gliding on my bike. I loved, sort of, I loved sort of some sort of simple sort of earth in my hands. And, um, and I loved, I realized I needed to be around people and that helped um, balance my... Um, inclination towards solitude which i can dig if i can dig a bit of a mental rut with solitude it's part of my creativity but it can be a, i can get lost in it and get really depressed hmm. so um yeah so i realized yeah no it's about others you know in proximity um yeah what a wonderful to, uh, wonderful journey and what a beautiful way of um telling it man and well, if if it's any if it's any good, I, I want to tell you right away that your job or your say your vocation is not going to be lost. When and if you pass away, maybe you'll become you know one with the <laughs> one with the plants. But um, <laughs> yeah, totally. But like really, that overlay that um, that Tesla-like uh, imagination of what it could be that that hooking into the potential or the realm of the potential, we like from very different contexts in very different circumstances. I think with you and I, and I, I can assume by the degree of separation that we have, that many others 
have arrived to the same conclusion and we're kind of looking for the same manifestation of this this reality into into our world i mean what you describe of youth being uh, able to drive their own rhythm and to procure their own food for themselves and their whānau, that is something that we are, like, at least myself personally, but I know a few others are very in tune with the notion we're trying to build here in, in Turanga, in Te Tairafiti, man. And it's very, very... Um, feel like you you make me smile with your story because um, <laughs> but it's one of those heartfelt smiles you know um, yeah totally yeah I because <laughs> you you touch on so many things like uh the the sense of brokenness and how that just leads you to your authentic self and the, the example of the beaver i i usually do i usually use the worm as an example because <laughs> cool. It's like, but beavers are just as industrious and, and unique and beautiful. Anything, just, just whatever living organism or even things that we consider to be, you know, inert, like rocks and the ocean and mountains and, you know, things that move at the, in the rhythm that's so much slower than ours. Yeah. Hey, what's, what, hmm? yeah. what's your worm one, Wolf? Oh, yeah. Well, I'd like to hear worm. your worm one. So in, in a similar kind of setting as you, I have developed this course about soil and our relationship with it. And the worm is one of the major players in my story or the way I tell it. And the worm, by just being themselves, by being unique mm. and authentic, what they do is they, they create this perfect environment in which they can thrive and not only they can thrive, but everything around them just becomes that much more fertile and beautiful and just diverse and full of life. And the worm doesn't really have to think about anything, doesn't have to you know, struggle with <laughs> the self or with uh, any other question about uh, mortality or anything at all. It just, you know, eats little bacteria and and soil particles and process them and poop them out 10 times more fertile and and we walk on top of these beautiful beautiful beings all the time and we ignore them and we kill them with our farming practices but they are transforming their lives and their, their worlds entirely at every every little turn of their of their tails um, without ever struggling to decide what it is that they need to do. And I got a question for you because of it's a question that I've asked myself and, and I, I hope to find an answer someday is, uh, do you think that the brokenness is a, a requirement to find that authentic self, that process of, of letting go and 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 just dissolving into everything around you is that a a necessity or is that something that we can try and show and guide each other towards finding our true calling without having to first go through this um kind of cultural shock of wait a minute everything that i've been taught so far everything that i've learned is actually going against my most basic and nuclear nature 
is that something you think is kind of intrinsic to the process of becoming yourself or is that something that can be kind of guided in accompanied with and through that path of, of finding our true calling? Well, I, because I felt separated from my essence somehow as a child or going to school, I, th I don't. I think you don't need brokenness if your child doesn't get separated from itself. Yeah, you know. So if you've, I don't know, if, if you have a Steiner education or only there was some sort of complete honouring of the flow that was happening, non-conceptually as a child, we're just flowing with the joys of what you are. Life is truly living you as a child until the editing of parents and society come in and that can uh, put you off a track. Um, yeah, so I think a lot of people don't need brokenness because um, brokenness only seems to need to happen to people that have lost their child, you know, and they've become an adult, you know, this obliged, socially adapted, culturally conditioned unit, you know, that was absorbed in industrialism or, you know, the doctrine and dogma of commerce, you know, and they had to monetize themselves, all those things, you know, they're all, yeah, yeah. They never used to exist, you know, and when you think about it, what's Elon, what would Elon Musk say about first principles to find the rock at the bottom of everything, you know, what, you know, prior to the, any stage of the evolution of culture, any aberration unfolding culturally, what's the rock? And we know it's it's the it's the it's the self, eh? Our, yeah, some sort of ecological, you know, some sort of innate determinism within our person that's prior to culture, you know. Yeah. So when you talk about this, do you associate it with archetypal kind of building of of the notion of the self, or do you feel that it's uh, something even more personalizing? <coughs> individualized um how do you mean um so think about those basic uh, building blocks that that create the human personality right and then yeah. that defines your path or what you want to do or what you don't, you don't want to do and what you're trying yeah. to uh, look for or avoid but is that based on these kind of archetypes of um so if you if you go to um, Jungian um, psychiatry and, and kind of psychoanalysis yeah. of the of the kind of the wild um, nature of the subconscious like the the old wise woman or the the mage or the warrior or the king you know those those archetypes of of psychic mm. kind of um, characters then mm. define our behaviors um yeah. and we follow some of these uh, archetypal paths of i am the warrior so therefore i need to protect and defend and fight oh yeah i am the Or, the wizard i am the yeah. the wizard and the tortured artist yes yes so stuff like that yeah Is that what, what you're referring to as the basic block or are you talking about something even more basic and, and primitive? In the... um, 
Well, yeah, well, I haven't got the concepts that I ha- I felt like I melted down into my spirit or something or some sort of being that was just there in the darkness behind closed eyes. And and from that, something just emerged like what I was interested in. I noticed that I loved riding my bike. I loved the glide and the feeling. And a character emerged from, again, following the scent of beauty. And so there wasn't some sort of archetype. I wasn't fulfilling anything. Something emerged. It was a, you know, there wasn't a, I wasn't, there wasn't a stereotype anymore to fulfill because all the ideas of, all the ideas that I'd had about fulfilling a stereotype or an archetype or a, or a role in society disappeared and the role emerged naturally without, just intuitively, you know, involuntarily, just like, you know, when a worm does its thing. So the, the wormness, you know, the, the beaverness, the, the rose and the, you know, the squirrel, the, the physiological, you know, inclination. And, um, Yes, there was nothing to fulfil regarding a, a stereotype or, or a role. Something just emerged and it was its own thing. Sounds and that's a why like I realized... a, a sage. That's kind of the type of... Um, that's another archetype too. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but it's, it's the role of that person that realizes that there's nothing determined, that there's no shape. There's just something. It's just essence, right? And and that essence can take any shape that we deem n- not necessary necessarily, but um, more like valuable or in tune with our wishes or, or with our path. So uh, the sage is the, the one that realizes that um, everything is exactly the same as nothing and nothing is exactly the same as everything and everything is completely connected to each other and there's no here and there is only that, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that reminds me of what um, Jim Carrey said. He said, oh, Jim Carrey doesn't exist, actually. He's just a relative manifestation of consciousness that was given a name it was given a nationality and a bundle of ideas he said really man it's all just a play of form just do what you want man Hmm. you know just be what you want and uh yeah i noticed that the being what i want is emerged by itself it's what i'm interested in it's what i was passionate about and it's what it's what it's like what you have a cap- natural capacity with uh, within your body and your mind and your talent set and your heritage or whatever. You know, something manifests that just can play itself out easily, like wormness or oh. you know. Was that Japanese concept? Uh, they have this thing that uh, basically your your place in the world is decided by your passions, the things that uh, you're good at and the things that the world needs. So if you put those three things uh, or those three groups of things, the overlay or the point in which they, they cross is that is your path. That is exactly what you should be doing. That is your place in the world. Trying to remember the world, it's like, but yeah, but yeah it's like be completely honest, right? Just it's, it's stop thinking, stop fooling yourself, stop t- uh, telling yourself lies and, 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 
and try to see through the illusions of what they told you the world is. And then once you've kind of gotten rid of all of that um, noise, you get what you want, you get what you're really, really good at, and you get from your context, because nothing exists in isolation, what it is. So how you can use that passion and that capacity to do something outside of yourself. So in this context, like it, it makes so much sense that in this context, someone that reached that point of detachment from preconceptions like yourself yeah, yeah. would say, look, I need to do something to provide food to people around me. And at the same time, purpose and connection and peace and beauty and abundance and all of these amazing things that we're so convinced that are are missing from our world but it, they're actually very easy to acquire they're just at a hand's reach that's right it's right there and when you realize what emerson realized he said with consistency a simply great soul has nothing to do mm. you may as well entertain yourself with your shadow on the wall and it's like emerson knew that The only deficit that happens regarding a sense of self is when thought comes in like a sea of illusion, like as part of the world full of riddles, you know, and, and part of the, the breakdown, the breakdown that I had, what happened without knowing, I've got the words for it now, but at the time there was reestablishing the correct hierarchy spirit back of all word prior to that word was like a mud over my spirit and it was i was defined by the words i had available for life and as byron katie said your life is as good as your story and that's the nature of unconsciousness and with her brokenness the story falls away and it's like you read Reestablish the correct hierarchy, spirit, back of all word, and then you are what Emerson said. Everyone is an emperor in their own right, and you're standing as a sovereign being, relocated back to your essence and your spirit, you know, and then you can wield word. Then word is your toy. I, I take all the words I hold them like a toy, the ultimate mind game, transcended with joy. Beautiful, man. And, <laughs> and that is the nature of reestablishing the correct hierarchy, spirit back of all word. And then you've overcome the world, you know, on a good day. You know? I, mean, yeah. I still, you know, we all still fall into mental ruts and the slippery slope of old thinking. They're very deep. But this is, I'm just laying, you know, this is, this is, yeah. This well, is it's, a, it's an ever-repeating cycle because um, that's, that's life too, eh? Like there's nothing yeah. in, the, in life that's not a cycle. Absolutely everything repeats itself. And, and it's mm. a beauty because we always have a chance to change. It's like, uh, I'm, I'm stuck in this cycle, okay? What is it that this cycle is trying to tell you? All right, you realize that you want to change it? Mm. Yes, well, there you go. You, you, you have clarity of absolutely everything in this cycle because you've gone through it 10 times. 
you, you don't mm. have a, a question in your mind of what it is that that you're trying to communicate to yourself by going through this 10 times in a row then mm. learning that message you can transcend it and oop, that's it you're, you're on to something new and 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 you're 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 free of that previous um, rut and uh, it's beautiful that the, the use of that word because in in yoga um what they talk about the um the um the dark side of of yoga is 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 that your body through our everyday use we we develop these patterns and it's like when you're snowboarding and you go through the same place over and over you create a rut and that rut mm. If you keep going through there, it's going to get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And then you won't be able to go anywhere else but through that same path. It happens with yeah. uh, so Thank many you. things. So that's what I guess that's why Taoists say the best thing to do is nothing. Because mm -hmm. when you don't do anything, there's no thing that you're kind of setting yourself up to repeat and over and over and over. But... Um, yeah, unless, it, gardens, unless it's nothing that you're always doing. <laughs> yeah. Going back to gardens mm. and, and, and the concept of being able to be like an emperor uh, in your own right, isn't that a, a proper feeling of sovereignty and domain of that little realm that you've created when you step into your, your little world? Oh, that's it, man, because you just... Um, that's exactly what Alan Chadwick noticed. Alan Chadwick, he's a famous market gardener, and uh, he's, um, yeah, Google that. And um, he, he said, he, he walked into the garden and he says, I must leave my preconceptions at the gate because there's informations that come in from nature and want to inform me about the wonder and beauty and potential here. And I must listen to all the hum of the bee and the fertilization of the flower and the the rotting of the organic matter and the increasing of fertility year after year. And then as the soil grows and fertility grows, it's a new plant emerges and a new weed. And then it invites a new insect and the insect invites a new bird. And then, the, the, uh, then we plant a tree and then slowly uh, year after year, the ecology is strengthening and there's a crescendo and there's a building and we call it, have we, entered the garden of eden and the yeah he just he captured that thing and it captured my heart realizing yeah wow and that's what i noticed at kawanga fertility will grow with participation and it needs our stewardship mm. you know and then i realized yeah beauty and abundance can grow and ecology is waiting to be strengthened by our participation and it can be Uh, super amazing but we have to be involved with it you know just like the industrial re uh, revolution did an incredible amount of work and innovation you know to do what it did and if we just apply that amount of energy and innovation into neighborhoods as a new technology use neighborhoods as a new technology bring all science technology all the power and skills and innovation of nasa and Silicon Valley, and focus it on a new neighborhood model. Mm. And that is a worthy ideal. And as Earl Nightingale 
another good guy to Google, Earl Nightingale. A success is the pursuit of a worthy ideal. And this neighbourhood vision is another vision that I know that it needs to be crystallised by really talented, passionate people because without a vision, the people perish. And I know that that's true. You know, we have to have a name for our energies. And so I've, uh, you know, I, I, at the moment I can't get past the neighbourhood as some sort of core fractal, you know, core essence, some first principle of the thing to beautify and get right and then it can go out and multiply once we've got that village design just perfect, you know? Mm. Those, those autonomous units as houses with cycle lanes around them and then gardens and then carbon beds, you know, small little fields that are maintainable by groups of young people and older people and it's hands-on. There's some lovely physicality. There's the mixing of old and young, you know, and again, following the scent of beauty and designing for how we want to feel. How we want to feel is how we must design. Mm. When we walk into a botanical garden, we go, ah, oh, that feeling. Oh, oh, let's look around. What are the design elements? Oh, okay. Well, there's that there. There's that there. We have to bring that into a relationship, into a new neighbourhood design. We make neighbourhoods botanical gardens. We look at the best practices of a, a market garden, and we go in and we say, wow, that's really efficient. That's really cool. Wow, that's working really well. We bring that into a new neighbourhood model and we jiggle around the melting pot and we do what Steve Jobs did. We create one device. We look at all the things that we love. One device, rule them all. <laughs> yeah, well, we've got smartphones. Yeah, but I'm thinking one village, one neighbourhood, you know, with this perfect giant jostle about with all this brainstorming that needs to happen by lots of talented people to come up with an eco-village, sure. you know, a small town model that's growing carbon, that's uh, meaningfully connected, that's, you know, all those things that we need. You know, high technology, really funky. It's still got some real funky shit, like, you know, raves and, you know. <laughs> you know, but the old people's homes are mixed in with the young people's things. So to some degree... But it's, and it's also hands-on where you've got some lovely physicality happening in the dirt. You've got these nice digging machines and really great technology, you know, and, yeah, That's blah, blah, blah. Beautiful, beautiful, absolutely you know. beautiful. So in the uh, – just thinking about the audience because I, I know they prefer um, shorter um, yeah. than longer ones. Yeah. I would yeah, totally. love to, to end here because of all the beauty yep. of the words you just said. And Great. Because it, it really encapsulates the whole whole Kopapa. And I'm very proud of you for owning your story and owning your narrative and turning it into your basic, basically your own uh, romantic novel of life <laughs> essence. Um, yeah. You don't really need to be a writer because you're writing your own story. So um, congratulations for, for such a beautiful, beautifully made narrative. And all of the chapters of, of that story seem like they weave in perfectly into this beautiful kind of harmonious melody. So I really congratulate your, your path, man. It, it's, it's leading you towards very beautiful ven avenues and, and new perspectives and new 
horizons. So um, I just want to send you all the love and all of the energy that you can use it to even, you know, make it even better and even enjoy it even more and, and be more in love with it. Because at the end of the day, that's exactly what we get up in the morning for a. Great. Hey, look, thanks, Wolf. It's, uh, it's been a privilege, man, just to share my stuff. And just as a, a quick um, signing off, I'm in uh, Westport on the west coast of the South Island, and the Ministry of Social Development have just they've emailed me and uh, put an application form for um, they, they, they're giving potentially 10 grand for a um, food secure communities grant to do a feasibility study for some of my ideas. And um, I've got the help of some good people in the neighborhood. So yeah, the West Coast is moving towards becoming more food secure and hopefully we can unfold some of these ideas. Beautiful. Over the next couple of years. Hey, thanks. Fuels me with with joy to hear. Uh, We're in a very similar uh, position right now and with uh with Daiki and my group of uh all my final here uh we're yeah. really like we're looking um to to do something very similar to that and it just it's it's really a happy occasion when we when we hear from a traveler uh and and they, the news are, are in in our town the beauty is is erupting everywhere as well so <laughs> that's great Thank you for, for sharing your, your beauty. And we got to do this again. Uh, we, we can, you know, keep doing this more and more and get more into detail about um, the practicalities of bio-intense growing and all of your methods yeah. and all of, you, all of your kaupapa and, and put that out for the community to get them as inspired as I feel right now. And just, you know, keep growing that movement, keep growing that vehicle, that can lead us all the way to the new tomorrow man thank you very much yeah thanks for best of evenings okay you too thanks man see ya peace and this was kane uh, sharing his story with us if you want to know more about his work follow him on urban gardener and facebook you can find him in there and he'll put out all of this awesome mahi on that page photos of what his gardening projects he's got going on and all of this awesome stuff that he's putting out with a lot of love and a lot of appreciation for beauty through an authentic relationship with life. So thank you so much for joining us today. Love you all for being here. Be kind to yourselves and each other and I'll see you next time.